the Las Vegas Aces are one game away from making WNBA history. But will the New York Liberty have something to say about it? Matthew Walter and I are back again here for some more WNBA Finals tennis. And we'll explain exactly what we mean by that after this. Ogumba Wallet for the win. You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Welcome. To Locked on Women's Basketball. I am Jackie Powell. I'm one of your Friday hosts. I cover the New York Liberty at the next, which is going to be very helpful on today's show. And I help with our social media strategy and have covered the league more broadly uh, for places like Bleacher Report, W Slam, and the Hartford Current. We want to thank you for making Locked on Women's Basketball your first listen every day. And remember, Locked on Women's Basketball is brought to you by Everyone at the Next, a place where we cover the sport all the time and we tell the stories that need to be told every single day. Subscribe now to support the staff at the Next, which is Matthew and myself, and we work so, so hard to bring you this coverage that matters a lot. It's $9 a month and $72 per year for subscription. And also, we've been breaking records here at Locked On Women's Basketball. We continue to grow each month, and our listens are growing too. And, and that's all thanks to you, dear listener. And remember, Locked On Women's Basketball is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many more. This episode is brought to you all by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 bonus bets guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. Last time uh, we were together, dear listener, actually Matthew and I were with y'all a week ago with Natalie Heverin, where she basically served as our, I'm going to create the full metaphor here. She served as our line official, if we're talking tennis. Um, and why I say that is because when Matthew and I talk about these two teams, we sort of just, we're throwing the tennis ball back and forth and back and forth. We have all these counters uh, for our different points, and it's just a lot of fun talking about these two teams with him. So it is such a blessing, such an honor to have him here with us this afternoon. And so in segment one, we're going to talk about how the Aces have gotten here where they're one game away from doing something a WNBA team has not done in over 20 years. Segment two, we'll try to parse through what is going on with the New York Liberty. And I have some more reporting from practice today about that. And then in segment three, we're going to try to set some sort of expectations for game three, uh, each time we do this and predict and preview, we always get it wrong. So we'll see what happens. But anyway, Matthew, thank you for being here. I think I will 
start with how exactly have the Aces gotten here to being on a, a 2-0 lead here in the WNBA Finals? I think they've done all the things they've done in the regular season, but to an even higher level. And I talked about this after my in my story after game two. Just in these playoffs, the Aces are doing all the things that they've done well, and even some of the things they haven't done very well, really, really well in this first two games. And I think, like Becky Hammond always talks about, it starts on defense, right? And the fact that they scored, I think, 17 of the first 19 points in game two, the fact that they've made Sabrina Unescu, Courtney Vandersloot, Benajelajani, to some extent, almost non-existent in the first two games offensively, has really just, the the defense has basically done the job that it has done at times in the year. And like, you talked about why in those two games in August, the Aces look so bad and the Liberty were able to dominate so well. Well, I think part of that is, A, we talked about the Aces always seem to come to play New York at the end of a road trip. Well, now the Aces are fresh, right? When the Aces are fresh, when the Aces are rested and they lock in on defense, when they buy into what they have been trying to do, they're almost unbeatable. They're, they're basically unbeatable. And you talked, we talked about Sabrina Inescu has been really struggling, who had just destroyed the Aces in the regular season, 18 made threes over the four games that they played each other. Jackie Young has basically fully committed to saying Sabrina Inescu is not going to get any open shots. Because you looked at, she got a couple open ones in game two, she knocked them down. But to the extent that the Aces defense has said, she is not going to kill us. We are, I, they seem to be okay letting John Quell score inside because she's been like the one main threat that New York has had. But for the most part, they have taken the guards for New York completely out of the game and tried to say, okay, now you have to beat us just with your interior game. And we have the ability just like you to knock down outside shots. And that's how they started game two, right? They hit all those threes in those first couple of possessions. They got out in transition after getting stops and they really ran the floor hard and they probably played the best game they've played all season in that game two win. Yeah, it was quite staggering. I mean, everything was falling. Kia Stokes shot confidently and made two out of those three corner threes, which was quite a sight. Um, I mean, Asia even shot a three and, and make it. It was one of those types of, of games where not only did the Aces generate excellent looks, but they were making them too. And it just was, I spoke to Sabrina Unescu post-game after game two, and she was like, the first quarter was essentially a shooting clinic. And, but Matthew, I think what I am so fascinated by is you talked about how their defense is just so much better than it's been in, in the regular season. What exactly has What's the reason for that? Why have the Aces, are, are they doing something different? What are you sort of noticing defensively from them that has led to this? Well, I think, and we, you and I kind of discussed a little bit during game two, they are treating Courtney Vandersloot like other teams treat Kia Stokes. They are totally okay with her shooting open shots because they're, they're sort of playing the numbers, right? She's the least likely to shoot the ball. She's not like she's sort of on the back half of her career. Not to say she's not a good three point shooter, but she doesn't love to shoot the outside shot. And they understand of their weapons on offense when she's in the game of their five starters, she's the least threatening to score. She's much better at letting other people score than she is to score herself. So they're saying, okay, whoever's guarding her, which seems to be Kelsey Plum a lot, you're going to be the one to help. But obviously, the aces also switch a lot. So it's, you've seen at times Chelsea Gray has gone to help. They have done a really good job of just when the ball goes inside, 
they are really clogging it up. And because of the fact that they can get different looks with their defense when Alicia Clark comes in, they don't have to stick Asia Wilson all the time on Brianna Stewart because the two of them can tag team that matchup. And I think we've seen with Vandersloot's unwillingness to shoot, not unwillingness, but just not wanting to shoot the ball at times and seeming a little hesitant in these first two games, it's really fed into what the Aces want to do on defense, and it's allowed for them to take advantage. Because, I mean, how many times do I feel like in these first games, Vandersloot caught the ball and was open and just didn't shoot it? And it's different for Stokes because when Stokes gets it, she can always just turn and do a handoff with somebody, right? She's a big, she can do a handoff, and now you're playing two-on-one. Well, Vandersloot can attack, but then she's going to attack where the defense is, and she just doesn't seem to want to shoot outside shots. So that's really been the biggest change. And I just also think you've seen a little more lock-in, right? You've seen Jackie Young get challenged in this series. I mean, I think of, remember before game one, Becky Hammond said, I challenged her to knock, to stop Sabrina. I challenged Jackie to be great in this series. And I think you and I would agree with the first two games. She's the MVP of this series. She's played some of her best basketball here in this finals. And not to give takeaway credit from anybody else, but Jackie Young is really showing why she was a number one overall pick. And Asia Wilson talked about it. She challenges Jackie. She has to remind Jackie she's the number one overall pick just because of the personality Jackie has. And she stepped up and really said whoever she's guarding, which is usually Sabrina, a little bit of game two, she guarded Maureen Johannes, that she is going to lock that person down. They're not going to get open looks. And you can see that Jackie Young is focused. And I turned to you, I think, in game two, said this is the most emotional I've seen Jackie Young maybe the entire year. She's playing with this extra fire that I don't know, you know, Jackie's not a super emotional, aggressive person, but she so, seems totally different here in the finals. It's really interesting you say that because I remember watching Jackie Young in the 2021 semifinals against the Phoenix Mercury. And she was put on Diana Taurasi and, and like, you know, rightly so, because, you know, the Aces have often put Jackie Young on the opposing team's best perimeter threat. And I just remember, you know, because Diana is the savvy veteran that she is, she would get into Jackie's head a little bit and she would, you know, really, she would try to out toughen her. And I remember just watching Jackie, she was very, she was hesitant. And in this series, she is not hesitant at all. She is not intimidated by anything. And I think that's just some growth too. Like I just remember she was playing Diana so tough and so physically but then she just, she sort of froze when, when Diana would give it back to her. But I'm not seeing any of that now, um, which, is, which is fascinating to me. Also on the Courtney Vandersloot note, something that Sandy Brondello mentioned is that the Aces are, they're in such a deep drop on her. Like it is so deep that she, they're basically preventing her from getting her two feet in the paint, you know, which is what she does, if it's the kickouts or if, if those are the, the shots that she gets at the rim. I mean, they just, that's something I've noticed that the, the drop is just, I don't want to say abnormally deep, but it's noticeably deep, if that makes sense. Um, but, okay, so before we talk more about the New York Liberty and what exactly is going on, uh, I want to remind you all about our title sponsor, FanDuel. So snap into NFL action this season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 
in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, overs and unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Visit FanDuel.com and include money lines, props, etc. Also around the WNBA finals. That is still going on, folks. All right. Why don't we get back to our program? and discuss what exactly is going on with the New York Liberty. So Matthew, although you haven't seen the Liberty as much as I have, I am very curious as to what your thoughts are first. So what do you think is going on with them? I think a lot of it is like what we talked about. I think we're seeing a lack of wantingness to shoot from from Courtney Vandersloot. And just, it just seems like, you know, in that game two, just watching it, the second half of game one and everything but the second quarter of game two, they just seem like they can't get a consistent offensive rhythm, right? They're just, there's moments and then there's a lot of not moments and it's not getting the right people in the right positions. And it seems like their bases are making the extra effort on defense and the Liberty aren't being aggressive at times and they're being a little more stagnant. And you saw in that second quarter, right? When the Liberty were intentional about going inside and getting the ball to John Cole Jones, that's when the, they made their comeback because the aces are, are at their best. You and I can admit when they get stops and their horses push the gas pedal to 100 miles an hour and they run because Asia runs because Jackie, Kelsey, Chelsea, they run, they run and run and run, and they would run for hours if they could because they are a team full of athletes. Like they're just super athletic. But when they get scored on and they have to play half court, quarter court, it doesn't work as well for them. And that's where Liberty sort of, I think the Liberty are sort of playing into the Aces' hands by getting some turnovers, by shooting shots where the Aces get out in transition. The Liberty are kind of need to win this series by not playing at the pace of the Aces. Like they need to play like a, 70 to 75 kind of game, but they are also an up-tempo team. They want to score a lot of points. So I think that is unfortunately like, that's why we saw that one game against Dallas for the aces. That kind of game is how you kind of have to beat the aces. Unfortunately, because if you try to get in a track meet with them, I don't care who you are. You're probably going to lose. And I just don't think the Liberty have been playing that style. That's going to make the aces life more difficult, except where we really saw it in that second quarter of game two. And I just, I think at times, Becky Hammond has outcoached Sandy Brondello in this series. I think we've seen just Becky's pushed the right buttons. She's made the right adjustments. They figured out how to sort of attack the Liberty and they figured out how to guard them. And Sandy hasn't adjusted as well as Becky has. So interesting that you bring the conversation to Sandy Brondello, because speaking of which, I am here recording this podcast live from the Barclays Center interview room. I was just at practice, or well, the Aces had a voluntary uh, shoot around type thing. It wasn't a formal practice, but the Liberty had a formal formal practice. And let me tell you, 
it was an intense, intense atmosphere. I get there, they're blasting the most like angsty hip hop tracks. I mean, I shazammed one of them because I was like, ooh, I want to remember this. If I look at my phone now, I think I could probably tell you, but it was that there was just like a noticeable feeling in in the in the practice space. But to get to my point, Sandy Brandello spoke to the media for around 20 minutes. I looked at my recorder. She was talking with us for 20 minutes. And in the span of that 20 minutes, she must have dropped the F-bomb 10 times, 10 times. So while she and her players seemed a bit speechless on Wednesday night. The attitude at practice a couple of days later was very fiery, very honest about how the Liberty have played. We even saw uh, Brianna Stewart hold herself accountable. And uh, so what was interesting to me is that there was, well, what I can say is there was a, a team meeting with the coaches and there was a meeting before that team meeting with just the players. And that happened this morning. And so when they all got to practice, there was, we always talk about that cliche about locked in and, and intensity or, or whatnot, but Sandy Brandello noticed a, a change, a change in how they were, what they were doing. And someone asked, did you not feel that, that focusedness in Las Vegas? And she said, people were focused, but there was less talking than there was today. There was a lot of talking today during practice. And so it, it's so interesting that I was thinking about this. And you know how in our pre-show with Natalie, one of the narratives was, oh, the Liberty are battle-tested. They're prepared for a fight and a war because of the first two opponents they've had. Well, I think that has actually put them at a disadvantage because they've had to work so hard in those first two matchups against the Mystics and, and the Sun. And I think what we saw in these first two games was just an exhaustion, a hungover from those two series. It's interesting. I asked Becky Hammond, I said to her, I said, so we were sort of talking about rest and exhaustion and things of that sort. And she was reflecting on when her team sort of went through their hangover stage during this season. And, and Matthew, that was around at that time where they lost to Washington and then lost to New York, those two in a row, right? When was that? Remind that was like in late August when they were playing like five games in eight days and it was all one really long road trip. Yeah. Yeah. And it was all on the East coast. So they were on a, a different time. And so I said to Becky, I said, so when your team is that exhausted, what, what sort of goes first? And she said, well, what usually goes first is your, your mental energy and your ability to make quick decisions and your ability to harp on the little details. And I was listening to this and I was like, hmm, hmm, okay. Yeah, there has been rest in between these games, but I think the Liberty are a little burnt out. And I think that's sort of what we've seen. Uh, the, the, the narrative has been, this is not the team that we are. 
this is not who we are. This is not our best basketball. And I think there's, it's not physical fatigue, it's mental fatigue. And, and that's sort of what happens when, when you're exhausted. I mean, the thing about the Liberty, and you were saying this before, is that they are able to punish and take advantage of teams in the half court because of how, how many different basketball minds they have on the floor and how many different facilitators they have on the floor. You can't facilitate at a high level if you are emotionally and mentally just drained. So that's something I'm noticing. I don't know if you have something to add there. I would just say you, we talked about it with the hesitancy, right? Like when you're sharp, you don't hesitate. You're, you're, everything sort of flows. And it just seems like everything's a step, a second, not just getting into the flow that when we watched the Liberty, like that game where they crushed the aces, they were flowing. Like the, the ball moved. It was pretty basketball. We talked about this in the preview. Like they want to play pretty basketball. But when things don't just like exactly flow, it's been just, it's like sometimes you and I would agree the possessions have been hard to watch. They've had some possessions where it, it just is like, that's not a good shot. They're not really moving the ball well. They run a little, some action, and then it's like trying to go one-on-one. And it's just not been very pretty. And that's been the same thing that Eagles, Aces, excuse me, have struggled with at times this year is when they get tired, it's they're a step slow and they're taking bad shots and then we're playing to play one-on-one. And you see the Aces, again, like coming into the series, I talked about the Aces are not a high assist team. Like they score one-on-one because Asia gets the ball and then she attacks and they can all sort of attack people off the bounce. But those first eight baskets of game two were all assisted, and it culminated with that one Chelsea Gray three where the ball, you saw it move side to side. They were playing, you know, sharing the ball, and then Gray shoots an open three as the shot clock expires. And that's, that's like pretty much yeah. a perfect example of, like, how the start of the game went. That was when it was, I think it was made in 19 to 2. And it was just, it just all that energy. And I can only imagine as a player, when you go into a finals game, especially with all the experience that this Liberty team has, and the other team comes out and punches you in the face 19 to two and back to back first quarters, you play poorly. I don't care what team you are. That's going to, you're going to feel like a bit awful. I mean, a word that I don't want to use on the podcast, but you're going to feel really, really poorly about yourself. And I just feel like mentally the way the first two games has gone, it's hard to like, I mean, I would feel very, very poorly if I was any of them because they just the games have not been at all the kind of games that we expected. Yeah, I mean, I could add on, which I think I'll save this little nugget for our third segment. But the the thing I was trying to say before is it's almost like the Aces are playing both their style and the Liberty style at like hyperdrive if that makes sense I mean that play you were describing where Chelsea Gray hits the the open three as the clock is expiring that's how the Liberty play at their best that's the Liberty's game Mm -hmm. and so it's it's Mm -hmm. really fascinating how the the schedule and the series Mm -hmm. that the Aces have had you know they've led that has led to their best all the Liberty having to play two very difficult rounds, very much so in the mud. Like a lot of those games were very messy and very physical and very draining. I think that's sort of why the two teams are where they are. I mean, 
The Aces had two against the sky. There really wasn't much resistance there. And then against Dallas, there was maybe one game where they had to work really hard, and it was that game three. Yeah, not to say that Dallas isn't a team that isn't physical, right? Dallas is the, probably the most physical team we had in the league. But I just think the Aces, the experience of the postseason last year as a group and the experience of just getting rested and finally – so they just finally locked in. I think that has been really where their difference has been. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And this is this Liberty team's first time doing that. So – That has mattered in these first two games. Coming up, Matthew and I are going to try to predict, lay out any expectations we have of of game three. And each time we do this, we get it wrong. So we're just going to have some fun in this Mm -hmm. final segment. Stay with us. And we are back. Before we get into the final segment, I just want to thank you all for listening to Locked On Women's Basketball. You can find us on Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. I do want to remind y'all that tomorrow we have our Saturday show, our WNBA Draft Retrospect Series with our three scouting folks. And they're going to be talking about Seattle Storm franchise linchpin jewel lloyd so you do not want to miss that come back and uh hang out with our team tomorrow okay matthew here we go here's the the most random time of this show where we're just gonna what do we think is gonna happen in game three i'm gonna start with you what do you think may happen so since I've like I think we're over a number I would assume is like eight or twelve or whatever I'm just gonna pick a really random thing and say like the Liberty blow the Aces out by thirty who knows I mean like seriously that's just my way of saying like nobody knows and it's not to say that I could have some like numbers thing and I could say oh you know this will happen and then this and this it's just this series has made no sense like you look at they played each other seven times the Aces are up four to three not one game has been closer than nine points. And and for two teams that were billed as like the two superstar teams and the two, how come we can't get a two, a one to two possession game? Like I just, it's, I don't know what the difference is. I don't know whether it's, I mean, coaching player performances. I don't know what it is, but these two teams haven't played a game that has been close. I just, my guess is somebody's going to win by more than single digits because that's just what's happened every time they've played. I don't know who it's going to be. I wouldn't be surprised if the Liberty win by 30. I wouldn't be surprised if the Aces win by 30 because at this point, nothing surprises me other than a game being close. That would be what surprised me at this point. Again, it's like a one to two possession game. I'd be stunned. Be cool. Be fun to watch, but it just hasn't happened. Yeah, it's it's sort of been wild. Like I, as I said last week when we were on with Natalie, I was sort of saying, oh, well, this is the time when it's going to get close, when it's going to be back and forth. And it's sort of, we're only seeing that in quarters. It's the type of thing where you have maybe a quarter in this game and a quarter in that game when it's like that. And then you sort of have one team just pushes the gas pedal to the max and the other just can't respond. I, I do, as you said, I do not know why that's the way it is. Maybe it's because these are teams that have ultra competitors 
And I really have no idea. I mean, I think it's really interesting that we're in the midst of WNBA history in this, I don't know if I want to call it a manufactured rivalry. I actually don't think it is. I come from the school of thought where these two teams being at odds or being against each other, I think it precedes the the super team era. I think you can date it back to 2018, 2019, but that is a discourse for another time. So what do I think is happening here? Well, here's what I do know. I do know that the Liberty are very close to selling out Barclays Center for Sunday. And I don't just mean the first bowl, I mean both bowls. So it could be very possible that under, you know, over 15,000 people, under 20,000 people are in this building on Sunday. That would be a another WNBA record in New York. Um, I wonder, I don't have the number when it comes to how many, uh, or what the number is when it comes to Madison Square Garden in Liberty history, like what has been the highest number of uh, attendees in a game at Madison Square Garden, that I don't know, but I think records are going to be broken at Barclays Center. I think there will be a lot of uh, celebrities and musicians. Lil Kim is the halftime performer. If y'all don't know, she is in the one of the most fiery collaborations between artists ever. She was in the Lady Marmalade collaboration with Pink, Christina Aguilera, Maya, Missy Elliott. Yes, I know I'm getting on the pop culture tangent and delaying giving any specific predictions, but... <laughs> I know I'm being ridiculous. Okay. So I, I think the Liberty are going to win, but I don't think they're going to blow the aces out. I think they're going to really grind it through and, and they're going to find a way. I think this is going to be the first close game and the last two minutes of the fourth are going to matter, but the Liberty are going to push this to four. I mean, if you, if you subtract the Commissioner's Cup game, no one's won on the road yet. So it's, it's again, it's a series that makes no sense. It should have some logic to it, and yet every game, nine points or more. I mean, it's it's very odd, and I don't think in my lifetime, I've watched a lot of basketball, 26 years old. I can't remember the last time we had a series like this where somebody didn't win some sort of game that came down to the wire. Like, even – even the Aces finals last year against Connecticut, where they looked like the better team. Like I think game four, the Aces won because Raquan Williams got hot and right there at the end of the game. So how we haven't seen that yet between these two teams is stunning. It's incredibly stunning. Actually, Becky Hammond reminisced today and brought up that, that fourth quarter with Raquan Williams. And the reason I bring this up is because she was sort of talking about what she feels like the group has learned from that Connecticut series of last year, sort of where they get to game three, they get to Connecticut and they're blown out by 30. And so I just wonder, will we see growth from that? I mean, I know it's been a year's time. There are some different pieces on the team, but you know, the, the core four are the core four. So I just wonder, do, does that familiarity of that experience, does that factor in or, you know, does it not? We'll see. I, I think you and I have figured out so far through two games, this series brings us something new every time. Yes. Yes. 
it does. And we want to thank you for making Locked on Women's Basketball your first listen every day. I want to give a huge thank you and shout out to Matthew for hopping on this afternoon for our, I guess, weekly round of WNBA Finals Tennis. Um, It might be the last one. It might be, which is really sad, but it's been really fun. And please follow him at at Matthew Walter 96. That's M-A-T-T-H-E-W-L-A-W-A-L-T-E-R 96 on all of the interwebs with how Twitter and X and all that is now. I just say the interwebs. And I will remind you all that we have a show tomorrow on Saturday. It will be Jewel Lloyd's WNBA Retrospect. M. Lincoln and Hunter are going to be looking at Jewel Lloyd's uh, college tape from Notre Dame, and they're going to be breaking it down. So we hope that you join us then. Well, this has been Jackie Powell and Matthew Walter. And we are signing off. Have a wonderful weekend, everyone. Ogumbawale for the win. You are Locked On Women's Basketball, your daily podcast on women's basketball. 